and marker. All right, and we're in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Affable Chat Off Script, the episodes of Affable Chat that aren't explicitly about movies. This episode can be listened to anywhere you find your podcast, or you can watch it on youtube.com. We have this website. It's called youtube.com, and there's a Affable Chat channel on there, and you can see this live, or, or not live, <laughs> pre-recorded there. I'm Benjamin. You see our faces move. That's right. I'm Benjamin, and this is my co-host, Joey. Hey, how's it going? And um, what's going on, Joey? Did you have a good Christmas? I did have a good Christmas. It was nice to see my family. It was nice to uh, kind of relax and everything and have some time off. For sure. Definitely. What about you? Yeah, it was great. I got an air fryer, which is apparently what everyone got. Uh, so it's it was a fantastic gift of Christmas. the season. Yeah. This year, this year's PlayStation Five has been overturned <laughs> for the air fryer. Imagine being a 15 year old kid, 14 year old kid, tearing open a large box under the tree, thinking, "Oh man, I really hit it big this time," and finding a air fryer in there. You'd be just as happy. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm excited about. I'm excited. <laughs> you open it up and it's a PlayStation Five, and you're like, "Oh no, I wanted an air fryer." <laughs> oh, what am I? Gonna and then do? you open up something else, and it's an attachment. Like you plug it into the PlayStation Five, and it and it's an air fryer as well. It just like powers from the. <laughs> that's why. 5. That's why PlayStation Fives are so hard to find, is because they're also an air fryer. So you. Oh, could... I thought it was because of being mistaken for air fryers. <laughs> People are buying them. Like this air fryer is expensive, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's um. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it, though. I'm going to make my sweet potato fries. is going to be my number one thing that I try Ooh. out. That's going to be the first one I try out. Because I want to be a little healthier, you know, but still have something tasty. So that's uh, that's something I, I, I'm excited about. But there's also something else I'm excited about, Joey. And I actually, you already know this because I talked about it on the stream yesterday, but I am a fantasy football champion now. Oh, uh, congratulations. Once again, yes. And is every, uh, you know, stereotypical sports dude wants to be <laughs> i am the champion of my fantasy football league with all my friends and dude it was not easy you know some people think that you just watch the games you just set your lineup and you watch the game but really yeah what it, if you want to win a championship you have to do what i did which was strain really hard and try to will your players to get the ball and will your opponent's players to not get the ball so uh, it's a lot of like, like visualization and actualization. Like you're sitting there like, Tom Brady, I need you to get the ball more. Uh, I don't know what Tom Brady does. Does he get the ball or does he throw the ball? You want him to throw the ball more. But Tom Brady oh, okay. did throw the ball to one of my guys a whole bunch, and that helped me win. But but I'm, I'm putting it on the screen. You won't be able to see it, but you, you'll know what I'm talking about. The straining kid meme. Uh, mm. the, the kid who's sitting in class straining really hard at the veins bulging out of his forehead. <laughs> That was me for about 11 hours straight on Sunday, and um, it was exhausting. And I know that a lot of people are probably saying that was unnecessary. The same things would have happened whether or not you sat and strained like that, whether you're, you popped blood vessels or not. And all I can say is, I'm a champion and you're not. You can't prove that that didn't work. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah, it was so exhausting. I actually didn't even watch Monday Night Football because I was so tired from Sunday. 
<laughs> so uh, what? like what i don't even understand how that makes sense like like you got so into football that you couldn't watch any more football yeah, is that what you're saying you got it exactly right joey it was <laughs> like you blew your load on football <laughs> too early and now you're just like Sitting I'm there spent. Like, ah, I cannot. I cannot do another football it, that, right now. That you've got it. You're on the. You're hitting the nail on the head, Joey. It's, you know, it might sound weird to a, a non-sports weeb like yourself, but I'm That's sure fair. there are plenty of other guys who have just completed another exhausting fantasy football season, and I need a vacation. I need something that I can <laughs> kick back and watch without active participation. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't ever really actively participate, but I mean, the fantasy football stuff is actively participating because you're worried about like you know how this is going to play out right because you have to like yeah. decide do you need to make decisions every week about yes, like, what big time players do what and stuff no it's the way the thing i um always tell people if you're not if you're not involved in sports at all is like it's like the stock market basically like you purchase stocks in players you're like i think this guy's gonna have a statistically good season so i'm mm. going to get him on my squad and then beyond there information is power so you have to constantly read about the players see what's going on who's got covid who doesn't all that stuff um so that you can make the smartest decisions because it's luck it's you know you don't know exactly how the game's gonna go but yeah information does influence the outcome so it's it's why um I don't think that like seeing how I acted on Sunday, seeing myself act that way is why I can't gamble on sports. Can you imagine if there was an actual, I mean, there's like a small financial risk in fantasy football. I, I it cost me $30 to play in this league, but can you imagine if I had like, if my rent was on the line, and I'm sitting there like, please throw the ball to my guy. I, I couldn't do it, man. I just, I don't care. I, I mean, what, what you're describing, it doesn't sound like you're, you're, it sounds like you're almost there already just without that, you know, <laughs> I'm gambling. how much more at this point you might as well, because there's not, you can't get much more stressed at this, you know, well, you might as well just go all the way. <laughs> you're right. I'm already at the edge, but <laughs> what I'm doing is I'm gambling with my emotions, man. I, uh, <laughs> I, and I'm okay with hurting my own feelings sometimes, as long as there's uh, other times where. I come out on top. I, I mean, I'm a champion, and now I'm making it everyone else's problem. So it's definitely, it's definitely worth it. And I'll have the, we bought a physical trophy last season. We, we pooled our money in the league, and I'll be able to show that off in the near future. Congratulations so. on your award. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. That was a loud applause, but well warranted. I, uh, I, I truly feel like I've earned it. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> All for you. So I, I can't wait for the, uh, when can I join a fantasy fantasy football league where I bet on how well fantasy football players are going to do? <laughs> I want to like, I want to, I know like enough people in fantasy leagues that I could like combine them together and get a bunch of other people that know them and just say, okay, well, I'm going to pull from this league, and I think this guy's going to win this this week, and I think this guy's going to win from this league this week, and then I have like I bet on that, and then um, you know I, I have a championship on that. Oh, um, right, right, right. Well, you could like, yeah, yeah. You just like go all the way up the late like the line, right? You can find a famous fantasy football league and like find players in there and like you know yes. bet on them and their ability to understand football well what i was like, at what point does it get like <laughs> is that too far to removed i mean at that point like you probably could call them and say i think you should throw this game for me but 
but I don't know. But like, if they have enough money on the line, so you wouldn't be able to convince yeah. them. It's, right. There's so much on the line, you know? Well, it's just like you're saying. If they're, like, out sick because they got COVID or, like, they're out, like, uh, at a vacation or something with their family. Yes. Like, you know, that, that week might not be so good. Might not be paying attention as oh, closely. Oh, no. You might uh, miss something. <laughs> Michael's got so go to go to a know. wedding this weekend. So Instead of, like, reading... Instead of reading sports blogs, you're just following people on Facebook and like up like whatever their statuses are. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. Like instead of at, like reading articles on Bleacher Report about the players, you'd be reading their social media to figure out what they're paying attention to right now. It's like yeah, yeah. Ooh, he's going through. Oh a, no, <laughs> he's going through a breakup right now. Oh, I cannot oh, trust no. his decision making. <laughs> Benjamin just discovered Queen's Gambit. He's out for at least a week. <laughs> 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 oh, that's funny. I, I we're probably not far from that. All we need is someone to set up the the website and the and then the gamblers. Will I can't come. be the first person who's thought of this. So I mean, well, it's got to happen. People won't find anything to gamble on if you've ever looked at what's available for you on those daily gambling websites. You can yeah. gamble on literally anything. So maybe it already exists for the people who are willing to <laughs> throw their money at it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's not for me. I I feel like. I would be interested for a little while and then I would just uh, kind of fall off. You know, it seems like it's too much to invest, too much time to invest in something that, you know, doesn't matter that much. It's well, <laughs> it, it finds it like at the end of the day, it's, it's like a lot of things for me. It's the social part, like part of it. I'm friends yeah. with like, there's guys who are in my life now almost exclusively because we've been in like a fancy football league together forever and it's like every year we get together for the draft virtually most of the time but you know there's that and then everybody pays attention to the comings and goings and we have a subreddit like it's just a it's just a thing to do with guys just guys being dudes guys being guys yeah guys being dudes yeah. you know it's just how it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it sounds fun you know it's just like i don't know it seems like a lot of work yeah to like pay attention to all this oh yeah other stuff no, it, it's and like yeah. At a certain point, it's like, well, it doesn't matter because, like, I could, I could screw myself by thinking I know it's going to happen and then it not happening, right? So I might as well just like sit out or something. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe well, that's no, and, and simplistic. And at the end of the day, it has to be something that you just organically enjoy. Like for me, it's just right. some. I already love watching sports, and this just adds a little bit of extra payoff for sports. Uh, but yeah, it, it is definitely something where when it ends, at this point, a lot of times I'm like. Thank goodness, because now I can just watch the game and not have to sit there and do the the straining kid meme the whole time. Right, right. And there's not so much on the line anymore. Yeah. It's so funny to me. It's just like there's so much weight behind it at that point, you know, and you're just like exhausted by the whole thing. But you're ready to do it next year, you know? You're, by the time, like, yeah, you get a nice, that's the nice thing about football is the season's short. So you get a nice long break. And by the time it comes around, you want it again. I, when I was a little right. kid and I first got into football, when this off season came, like I, I got like seasonal affective disorder, but like the reverse. Cause it was during the spring and summer. I was like, Oh man, I will, when's football coming back? You know? And, <laughs> and so I'm so like, I'd be watching, you know, NFL network off season where they're talking about nothing. And I'm like, man, I can't wait for football to come back. I'm not like that anymore. Now I kind of welcome the off season, but it's, uh, it's definitely a uh, something that you get used to that cycle. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It's like the seasons and everything, right? So it's, you get this long break of like, oh man, I was so used to that routine, and then you're just like, you're missing it. Yeah, you're craving that well, little bit of football. And I think that I've 
I've grown a little bit as a media consumer where I used to be mm. like, how can I find more football to consume? And now I'm like, dang, I wish there wasn't so much football on during the season because I'd like to be watching other stuff. Uh, so, and I think that this podcast has probably been a big part of that. <laughs> you've, you've helped me to grow, Joey. Yeah. Well, speaking of the podcast, we recently did an episode on Die Hard. Um, and after we did our episode, I ran across this thing. Uh, it was a, it was an interview from John McTiernan who directed the movie. Um, and he, it's the, the interview is very strange because he's like obviously filmed it himself, but he's not like, he's like facing away from the camera. He's like facing like this and he's like talking, but he keeps like turning toward the camera to like punctuate his points. Well, is the anyway, person like interviewing 12, him and like on the side? There's not a person there. It's he, he set up the camera himself. Oh. Um, yeah. And it's like, I guess it is part of an interview or something, but basically he was asked about Die Hard as a Christmas movie. And he gave this very, very interesting response because he said that he had always intended for it to be a Christmas movie and actually was trying to emulate It's a Wonderful Life more so than any other movie. Right. Um, and even though the movie came out in the summer and it still had this Christmas theme to it that he was trying to put in there as a subtle nod as a, as a, as he says it, a, like some sort of critique of like capitalism in general, which is, <laughs> I know it's kind of, it's kind of a weird take, but he, um, he says like when the, when the script first came to him, it, it, he kept sending it back because he didn't like the hero and he insisted that the hero had to be an everyman, that he had to be a normal working class guy. And he establishes that very early in the movie. And then um, he goes on to make the, the rest of the movie is about how that guy is better equipped than any other authority figure in the movie. The FBI uh -huh. is ridiculous. You know, yeah. we've talked about this a little bit. The, uh, the, the police captain, he doesn't know what's going on or anything. Um, and even the terrorists aren't terrorists. They are um, they're bank robbers. So they're, they're, they're after money, right? Right. And um, which like is interesting too, because in the original script, I guess they were supposed to be leftist terrorists who were there to cause, you know, a disruption to destroy the corporation, cause damage right. to capital. But that wasn't, that wasn't the goal in the movie. Their goal in the movie was to like siphon off some of the money that the capitalists had done, which is, you know, you might say maybe a very capitalist goal. I don't know. But there's all these little tiny moments in there where, like, uh, at the very end when all the, the, like, the papers are falling down on all the citizens, kind of like this redistribution kind of scene. Um, just like the, how, uh, what's his name? Al Powell, the, the cop, is, he's also Carl kind of Winslow. a working class. Right. He's also the, uh, like, a, a, the hero of the story because he's, like, a working class guy. And he stands up to the man. Um, and that's all to his benefit and everything. So, yeah, it was, it's actually pretty interesting. And um, he has this interesting kind of... Uh, quote at the end which i want to play for you and i don't sure if i'm going to get it just right but let me just try and play it from here and see what you said what do you think okay. the best i can tell you about it um i hope that you all people my age grew up okay so first before i get way into this he he talks like he talks like every director i've ever seen in an interview <laughs> which he's like very full of himself like he's like he's so like like I am a thinker, I am thinking, and and I am painting with my paintbrush, kind of thing. But like, by the, he's kind of endearing in his in his own way. So okay, you know, just listen. Came to adulthood worrying about politics. 
time thinking about politics, trying to study it, trying to understand it. And when we got to be 25 or 30, most of us said, you know, it's going to work out. All we have to do is be decent, decently educated middle class folks. And, you know, the force of history will, decency will, it'll work out. So these last four years have been scary as hell, because particularly for if you're our age, because it looks like it didn't, it isn't going to work out. There are genuinely evil people out there. Um, and there's a line from Lincoln that keeps going around in my head, which is actually from Micah through by way of Jesus, by way of the Apostle Matthew, which is that a house divided against itself will not stand, which I take to mean that you will not successfully compromise with evil, which if you've spent your life thinking you were making acceptable compromises is a sad thing to think about. So my hope at Christmas this year is that you will all remember that authoritarians are low-status angry men who have gone to rich people and said, if you give us power, we'll make sure nobody takes your stuff. And that's the essence of authoritarianism. That's always been the essence of it. And their obsession with guns and boots and uniforms and squad cars and all that stuff, all those things are the mass of power meant to scare us, meant to shut us up so we don't kick them to the side of the road and the decent people of the world get on with building the future. There you go. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, when pretty was interesting. That? Was that recent? Two weeks ago. Yep. Wow. Uh, this, is, this clip is from uh, the American Film Institute. They put it on their YouTube channel. And they have a little clips in there. So the interview is interesting. It's only about 12 minutes long. You can check it out yourself. Um, and yeah, I think that that last little bit is very telling about the kind of his philosophy, which he claims is what he was thinking of when he was making Die Hard. Um, I think some you know, of that first, comes through. Yeah, I think for, at first, like when I first heard about this interview and I was reading about it, it seemed kind of opportunistic. Like he was trying to jump on like the Die Hard as a Christmas movie bandwagon. Uh, but he makes the claim that that's, that's that was always his 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 uh, his goal. And the, the scene from um, It's a Wonderful Life that really stuck with him was the scenes when uh, George Bailey is uh no, no longer exists right when yeah. he's shown the potter pottersville or whatever it's called um instead of the town that he grew up in and he shows how this is like crony capitalism cowboy capitalism run amok um and what that looks like and he's like this was supposed to be a cautionary tale for people and unfortunately we're seeing pottersvilles all over the country now and he was trying to kind of subvert that in his own way uh with this movie with die hard too he actually claims that he was sneaking this message in um, by putting it into a mainstream movie. Um, he thought that they wouldn't notice if he did it this way. And, uh, you know, you can say maybe he, maybe people didn't because this is not a take I've heard before. I've heard Die Hard is a Christmas movie, but not that Die Hard is a socialist movie. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, we just spent a while, you know, trying to decipher the meanings of that movie. And that wasn't really something we came to either. No. It's pretty, it's definitely um, very, it's kind of hidden, I guess. I actually, it's interesting to bring this up because while I was home for Christmas, I finally saw It's a Wonderful Life for the first time since I was like oh, yeah. eight or something. And I used to think when a Wonderful Life came on when I was a kid, I was like, oh no, not 
boring black and white long movie this movie <laughs> sucks you know uh because i was a little kid and i didn't understand finances i think that was the biggest thing that was i was like the bank and loan they literally invented a business that does nothing that you can see how is it building and i have no idea what they're talking about and then all these people run in and they want money and he gives them some of the money what is that like <laughs> as a kid you just i just flew right over my head but yeah i finally watched it again and oh my gosh i cried <laughs> it's so good like, it's such a good movie it's so beautiful like it's one of those things that makes you just like oh man like uh, i like my fellow man is good and uh, <laughs> it just uh, honestly destroyed me emotionally in the best way um so i'm glad you brought that up because i i really enjoyed that movie the movie's really great. Uh, this past yeah, Christmas. for sure. I'm surprised they haven't remade it and tried to ruin it. Right, so. yeah. Starring Robert Pattinson as George Bailey. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he could be good. I would, you know, he's not too bad. No, I mean, but wouldn't he... I mean, I feel like he would. He sounds like he's uh, on a hot streak right now. Yeah, yeah. He's Batman, isn't he? Yes, he's Batman. He was in Tenet. He's... Um, well, the reason I oh. bring him up specifically is because I was listening to a podcast talking about uh, movies, and they were and they were saying that he could be like the next Christian Bale. And I was like, whoa, that is insanely high praise. Maybe I'm not paying enough attention to this guy because I only thought of him as shiny vampire boy from uh, yeah. Twilight. But maybe I'm not giving him enough credit because it's not fair. It's not fair to write off something just because it's popular with teenage girls. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that Robert Pattinson is good or bad, right? It's just something he's been in. Christian Bale's been in some weird stuff, so there's a chance. It just it just made me be like, hmm, maybe I need to be paying a little bit more attention to him. I want to see Tenet. Maybe, I do too. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe he's good. At I it. was waiting to. I was trying to see it in theaters, but I don't think it's going to happen. So I think I'm just going to get it on Redbox or something. Yeah, it'll probably be so. the way. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen him in that much stuff either. I guess. I feel like I'm trying to think of something that he's been in recently um, that I've seen him in. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's probably a fine actor. And yeah, the Twilight movies kind of like ruined a lot of people's careers, I think. A lot of people were kind of uh, didn't want to go near that. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, don't, I think there's probably worse stuff out there for sure. So For sure. Well, and it also, I don't know, just like being a part of it doesn't necessarily mean it's not like Robert Pattinson wrote those books. You know, yeah. it's, he's just a character. He's just an actor. Or, yeah, I wrote the movies. He's just an actor in the movie. Yeah, exactly. And the, I, I always think about this. Like, I don't think actors in movies realize what the movie is while they're making it. That's you know? literally. I saw a headline today where Robert Pattinson said, "For the majority of the filming of Tenet, I didn't know what the movie was about." And which, which I <laughs> oh, think well, people don't understand what the movie's about after they watch right, it. Right, right. So which that's I think not really yeah, is part of the whole paradigm of Tenet, where it's like, yes, oh yes, for sure. It's it's, it's a, too confusing. <laughs> well, it's they're like, do you remember how much you loved how confusing Inception was? <laughs> like that's literally what was Inception like, was not even confusing. Come on, that was the pitch that I've heard. Is they're like, you remember how much you, you your brains got blown out of your ears when you watched Inception? Well, get ready for Tenet, where it's it's like even more confusing <laughs> which you're right yeah. inception wasn't like overly confusing but it was kind of mind-bending to be like oh man look at all the levels in time moves yeah. at different rates and different levels yeah no it was mind-bending but it was very clear about what was going on but but yeah. was it real or not at the end joey come on <laughs> Chris, christopher nolan always says that there is answers to these ambiguous questions in his movies Hmm. Uh, that you just have to watch it and it'll, it'll become obvious to you which is kind of like a 
you know, as opposed watch, to like, not knowing because you didn't see the movie <laughs> or not knowing because there is no answer. Right, 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 right. But he's, he's saying that you just have to watch the movie. So just keep watching it over and over again, which that's what he says. I did. And, you know, like I watched Inception four times when I first saw it. I didn't see it until it was on DVD and I was like, huh? And I watched it again and then I watched it with subtitles. Uh, so good. I just wanted to exist in that world, though. I just wanted it's to be able cool. to go between dream worlds and uh, <laughs> disguise myself. That's crazy and, stuff. Yeah, and disguise yeah. myself as something and, and walk on the ceiling with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like, that movie had everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch it again. It, um, it's a good one. It's been a while. But um, I, I don't want to... I, I know I kind of uh, put us on a tangent from that, that quote, but... Um, was there anything else you want to say about Die Hard? No, I, I'm good with Die Hard. I think, you know, I didn't give it enough credit, I think, when we were watching it. I think there may be something deeper there that we didn't quite ca- catch on. Well, so. I, I plan on revisiting it next Christmas because, just like the director said, it's definitely a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. movie. Undeniable. <laughs> Undeniably. Well, actually, <laughs> um, I have uh, an interesting real-life thing I did this uh, over the Christmas uh, holiday, something that... I haven't done a whole lot of real life stuff for a while and uh, kind of, it was epic. It was, uh, my dad recently cut down some trees in our backyard and um, he wanted to split, he wanted me to help him split some wood for the fire. And, oh my. Yeah, right? Which sounds like some real He-Man stuff. You ever split wood with an ax? No. It's tough, but that's not what we did. My dad actually has a hydraulic wood splitter, which basically it looks like, almost like a, it has like this shape, like a uh, kind of a f- paper football field goal is what I'm making okay. with my fingers, but it's made out of this heavy metal. And in between the, 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 the points here, there's a wedge that moves hydraulically. So you place a piece of wood inside these barriers and then it goes in between and just splits whatever is in between there in half, right? So am I, am I painting the picture correctly for you, Joey? Like, I think so. Basically, you just have like a wall on each side and this wedge that moves from wall to wall. And you place a piece of wood inside of it and the hydraulic like, power can go through anything. So it just moves right through these huge pieces of wood. Uh, and the whole time that we were doing it, because it's, it's uh, it runs on gas, so it's super loud while you're using it. Um, I also got to use it. I also got to use a chainsaw to cut the pieces of wood so that they were close, like small enough to fit into the uh, wedge. So a lot of gasoline being burned, but we, uh, the whole time I was watching these giant pieces of wood get split in half, I was like, if my dad wanted to start a TikTok account, he's got everything he needs right here. <laughs> everything goes back to. How do I make this into content? Exactly. That's how. How do I make splitting wood into content? Have you watched any of those hydraulic press uh, videos? Of course. How can you avoid them? They're fascinating. They're so satisfying. And that's what I'm talking about. It's that same genre of uh, watching. It's like, what would happen if I put a garden gnome in my hydraulic wood splitter? <laughs> and you film it, and then you get three million likes on TikTok. That's uh, so I told. That's what I told my dad, and he was like not interested at all. But I, uh, I, I, that's how my mind works right now. As I saw that, and I was like, yeah, you got, you got the TikTok brain. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Um, 
I bet that was fascinating, though. Those kind of machines are very mesmerizing. Yeah, so. yeah. You no, know, it was great. I mean, I don't know. It's You can tell I've been inside for too long when I'm, like, really wanted to do some manual labor. It was actually yeah. really nice to be out there. It was a mild day in South Carolina, so you get a, you can work up a sweat without getting too hot and just get something done. Because actually, at the end of the day, we took all the split wood and we made a bonfire. Not all the split wood. We split so much wood. My, I mean, we can have be giving away firewood but Dang. we uh ended up and then we made some s'mores so it was, it was good outdoor fun in the uh in you know south carolina sub- suburbs dude you know what that happens really in the great. suburbs folks no. folks are burning stuff in the suburbs folks are burning stuff all that we were burning stuff i saw like five different backyards with various things on fire sometimes it's bonfires but sometimes it's just a pile of leaves and i'm never i'm never a hundred percent certain that it's that it's not an emergency you know hmm. when i see like a yeah. huge smokestack coming from behind a house i'm like maybe i should do something about maybe this. that house is on fire right but i'm like nah people in the suburbs yeah. are just burning stuff that's just how they do it they don't people don't burn stuff in my neighborhood that much but in jenny's neighborhood she says they were always burning stuff every she said every clear day someone was burning something and she never like got the feeling of like a cool breeze and like a nice day because people were always burning stuff yeah that's i mean that's another effect of me spending too much time in the apartments is that i get to the suburbs and i'm like i'm seeing things that the suburbanites have just grown blind to. oh these different people out here in the suburbs what kind of what kind of strange rituals do they get up to look they have so much stuff they could just burn it look at how amazing look how <laughs> excess so much excess they could just burn it so much elbow room these people where do you get the uh where do you get the oh so you had you have trees in your backyard i guess yeah actually um my dad bought an rv or, or like one that you tow behind a truck you know yeah and the neighborhood association was like that's an eyesore so you have to hide it behind a wall so that we can't see oh. it from the street anymore. So my my dad literally built the wall. Uh, he built a. He built the wall. Yeah, he built the a, one. How, how did he pay for it? He got his neighbors to pay for it. No. <laughs> he, um, he built it. He, he built it himself. And then uh, to do that, he had to have a place to park it. So he had to lay down some pavement in the backyard, and he had to take out a couple trees for that. And gotcha. And then he just had so much extra fire. So much wood. To do it. What, did he, what about the stumps? Did he like? I think he had somebody come removed? and take those out because they come mm-hmm. and tear them up out of the ground. We recently had a tree taken down in my in my house too. Um, but they had like this. They had this huge crane thing. It was a remote controlled crane. Uh, my dad took a video of it. Uh, oh. I wasn't there when it happened. It was. I mean, the tree has been there since I was, you know, since I was little. Yeah. It's, hu- it's a huge tree, and it would, what it would do is it like it would take. It's a big claw that would come up and it would grab whatever like this. Okay, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm seeing grab it. this, and like like this, and then it would have this little saw that would go and cut through whatever it was, and then it would be holding on to the piece that it had just cut, so it would just like pull away, and so then it, that way stuff wasn't falling in the street or on people's heads or anything. Um, and then there was a guy like on the ground with a remote control who was actually controlling the crane. Um, from the ground and like see everything was going on and stuff it was pretty cool yeah i actually saw a crane like that in use recently um at my work they were doing some uh cleaning up some of the trees that had overgrown over the parking lot 
and we were theorizing as to how a guy gets that job. And we think yeah, that it's a cool a, job. Well, we think it's a guy who goes to the arcade all the time and he's winning at the claw game. And then oh my God. he's killing it. And then someday a guy in a suit and sunglasses comes up, sir, come with us. And then they take him. First off, they take him out of the arcade because arcade's losing massive amounts of money on prizes because this guy keeps, he keeps scoring big on the claw game. But then they also give him this big time job where they're like, we want you to we want you to man the big claw now. The big crane. <laughs> you like cranes? <laughs> this one will give you all sorts of prizes. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. That's funny. That's some real that's some real last starfighter stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great. I mean, um that, I feel like that would be a lot of fun to move big machinery like that. Yeah, around. yeah, definitely. I I I have to disagree. I don't think that happens because I'm good at the claw game, and I've never been approached by government agents to to star my own claw yeah, okay. based well, company. You must not be that good if you're. I'm pretty good. Oh. I, I mean, I've won many times. What have you won? So. Tell, give me some of your prizes. Tell me some of your prizes. I could probably. I have won like a little blue bear, a little purple dragon thing. I can show you actually. Ooh, a purple. I have a couple right here. Okay. I have one. I have a. I have a, a, a like a woolly mammoth who I called Ardvark because I thought he was an Ardvark until I pulled him out and realized he was a woolly mammoth. <laughs> Wait, you Hold got on. him? You got him close? Uh oh. Okay, Joey is getting up and going to grab his prizes here. I was hoping he had them just sitting on his desk because uh, that's what a serious claw gamer would would do. But uh, he's already back. He's sitting back down now. What? So he's already got him. Yeah, but, I just had him right here. Here's Ardvark, the woolly mammoth. Oh, he does look like an Ardvark. Wait, wait, hold it up Here's to the a... camera again. Let, let him get a better look. Look, look at that schnoz. Yeah. Joey's holding a <laughs> uh, stuffed woolly mammoth. Very small. It's yeah, a... he's about the size of your hand. I got this thing. I don't actually know what this is. That's uh, <laughs> off-brand Barney. <laughs> he looks like Barney, but like not like a dinosaur. He's like some sort of blob, basically. <laughs> Same color as Barbie, Barney. And I'm pretty sure I won this in a claw game. Well, Blueberry. Oh, it's a classic. It's a classic blue bear. You know, nothing wrong yeah. with that. Is it was either a fair or something? Maybe it was something else. But yeah, I've I I mean okay. I can win those cards. You've, games. you've convinced me. I, I take it back. I think uh maybe there just weren't any job offerings when you were mm. currently. So keep trying, keep trying. Game. Well, yeah, if you want to, if that's the career path you want to go down, be careful because once they take once that guy in the suit comes and takes you away, there's no turning back. You mm. they, just like one chance, one opportunity. Just like there's people who call me all the time saying this is the only chance you get to win this great hotel uh, opportunity, right? <laughs> right. They say if you hang up now, you'll never get this opportunity again. And then when they call me back two days later, <laughs> and say the same thing. <laughs> That's right. It's uh, it's high. Yeah, the opportunity high has reappeared. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, um, well, Joey, something that I've been. Uh, you know, I love sitcoms, you know, sitcoms are my, they're my security blanket media to consume. They're the ones sure. where I can sit down and trust that I'm going to have a good time. And I've watched The Office enough times through where I don't need to watch it again. Even though I did watch mm -hmm. all the Christmas episodes this year, I don't need to rewatch that one. I've seen Community three times through. I love my sitcom, but I, there was one that recently came back into my life. And uh, it actually came from the recommendation. My brother's always telling me to watch stuff. So I don't always watch everything he tells me because there's so many recommendations. But he recommended the show to me. And then also there's a podcast that uh, 
it, it, I'll I'll blank out the first word in it, but it's blank town is what it's called. Come town. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> These guys, the guys on Come Town. If you ever listen to Come Town, it's they're they make fun of everybody and everything, right? And they don't respect anybody. They would probably. I always I've always thought about if like those guys ever watched anything we made. It would hurt my feelings so much, the things that they could oh, say, I'm God. sure. But one thing that they said while they're making fun of other sitcoms was that Bernie Mac, the Bernie Mac show, was like one of the last great sitcoms. And I was like, what? You guys said something nice about something? I mean, they have nuanced <laughs> opinions. I don't want to. But anyways, this is something I was like, I was surprised. And this is right after my brother told me that Bernie Mac show is on Amazon. He was like, oh, dude, you got to watch it. And I remember watching the Bernie Mac show when I was a kid. It was uh, a show that we loved together, or like we watched together. My family and I loved it. But it, Bernie Mac, he's funny. He's really <laughs> funny. Okay, and and here's the thing: Bernie Mac is the in the Bernie Mac show. He's the original vlogger. Okay, part of the thing that makes the Bernie Mac show unique. Have you ever seen it? No, I've never I've never seen any, even a single episode. Do you know who you you know who Bernie Mac is, right? You've yeah, seen he was the guy in Ocean's Eleven, right? <laughs> And he's in other things too, but uh, he's you know he's one of these uh, stand up comics who made it big. And then of course, if you're a big stand up comic in the early 2000s, you have to have a TV show that has your name in the title. So yes. uh, they he made the Bernie Mac show, which is actually created by Larry Wilmore. That was actually like it always says at the beginning, created by Larry Wilmore. Who's who's Larry Wilmore? He's um the you may remember him from the um. He replaced the time slot for the uh, the Colbert Report. Oh yeah, and I, it's unfortunate. Yes, the guy with the glasses. Yes, who had he like sometimes pretended he was an alien. Yes, he was. Yes. Um, honestly, I liked some of the stuff he's been involved in, but he, it was like a panel show, wasn't it? Where he would yes. bring in celebrities and they would argue about topical things. Yeah, well, it was supposed to be also like kind of in the vein of the Daily Show. It didn't mm. do so well, but. Um, I like Larry Wilmore, and um, it's. I think he's maybe, maybe just um, not. His ideas are great. His writing is good, uh, but and you can really see that in the Bernie Mac show. So just a brief synopsis of like the premise of the show: Bernie Mac's sister is a crackhead, and she goes to rehab, and so and she's from the South Side of Chicago, and her kids move to L.A. and live with Bernie Mac, and he's gonna he's now their guardian. Uh, and the show is mostly him taking care of them in kind of his like post career days, which is like his late forties. Like he's he's basically a stay at home dad in the show, and his wife works for a, a telecom company, and she's a career woman, which is also a unique dynamic because Bernie Mac has to be kind of the uh, the stay at home dad, which you know is a nice foundation for whatever you want to make this sitcom about. Whatever hijinks are yeah are about to ensue. Yeah, right, right, and it's it's Bernie Mac. He's got a teenage now, like they're they're basically his kids, even though they're not. Um, it's his sister's kids, but he's got a teenager um, girl named Vanessa. Then he's got a uh, like preteen kid, or even I think he's even younger. He's like eight or nine, named Jordan. And then uh, Brianna is like the youngest one. She's like four, and um, he calls her baby girl. She's like really young. So he's got various ages and genders there, um, but really. I'm impressed by how ambitious the production of the show is. It's like, it's honestly, it kind of transcends just your typical sitcom. Similar, I would say, in some ways to community in the way that they really? uh, genre bend, uh, depending on the topic. 
of the, which I don't remember as a kid. As a kid, I was like, this is just a, a sitcom. And a lot of episodes are pretty cookie cutter sitcom, but they regularly go outside the boundaries and do pretty creative stuff. Like for instance, there's an episode where Bernie Mac tries to get his kids to do extra chores for him. And the kids are like, well, we want extra payment for our, uh, for allowance. If you're going to make us do these extra chores and Bernie Mac doesn't want to pay them. So they unionize and go on strike. (laughs) And it literally is a commentary on like workers rights and like unions and Bernie, he's at the grocery store. He's trying to deal with his kids not doing chores. Like the house is a mess. He goes to the grocery store and these like teenage kids are out skateboarding in the parking lot and they're, they ask him for money and Bernie Mac's like, get a job. And then he goes, wait a minute. And then he hires <laughs> them amazing. as scabs <laughs> and they clean his That's house. That's amazing. <laughs> and then, uh, which I thought was great. And they always have, I feel like on a lot of these episodes, there's a good commentary and like a lesson to learn at the end of the episode. But I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't really love the, uh, the lesson in this one because Bernie hires these scabs and his kids move out into the backyard into a, in a tent and they form like a shanty town because they're unemployed and they can't live in the house anymore. And uh, Bernie Mac eventually like lures the youngest one in with like ice cream, and then then the the next like youngest one. Yeah, uh, he breaks the picket line. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then he finally gets Vanessa, the oldest one, who was the 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 union leader, to right. give it up. And basically, like the story was like, you have to you have to cooperate with the owner. You class. better fold, yeah, or yeah. the man will get you. <laughs> yeah, which it was like a nice return to the base settings of the of right. the show to re- resolve the plot. But honestly, I was like, ah, I don't really like that as a story. Like, I wish it was a different lesson. <laughs> I wish somehow the kids could win. Um, but, you know, it was still an ambitious episode with, the with like, the premise. Because it, it, it's, um, you know, at times it's like, okay, this is a stretch. Like, is their life only about doing chores? But it, it really works for, like, the topic of the, uh, of the show. Another one that they did is their Thanksgiving episode where Bernie Mac is a glutton and he wants to, uh, he wants to have his own turkey for Thanksgiving because mm. the kids always eat some of his turkey. So he prepares his own turkey on a separate grill, but one of the kids runs past it and turns the heat really far down low on accident and they don't know. And I didn't know this, but my dad told me he's a, he, he knows how to cook turkeys. And he told me that if you try to slow cook a turkey and you don't do it at the right temperature, it just breeds bacteria. Um, and it's, oh my it's God. really, yeah, it's like specifically turkeys, especially big turkeys, uh, can have this issue. So you have to be, you have to know how to cook it. So Bernie gets really sick from that and he gets a fever and he starts hallucinating. And he, like one of his hallucinations is he becomes claymation. So there's a whole section of the show that's Bernie Mac and these kids as claymation characters and i was watching this with my my dad and he was like what is this the community christmas episode (laughs) which i I was like they yeah they totally transcend the like they they totally change mediums um in the middle of the show and then his he wakes up and then he goes to the bathroom to throw up and he falls asleep in the bathroom and starts hallucinating again and this time he's on an airplane and he looks out the window and he sees one of his kids, but she's a monster and uh, she's on the wing. She's destroying the airplane. And That's he keeps amazing. trying to tell everyone, these kids are out here destroying the plane and nobody <laughs> believes him. And it's like, 
for shot for shot a remake of the uh twilight zone episode that's the exact same chapter yeah and i'm just sitting here like this is amazing dude like bernie mac is so ambitious with this show um, that's cool and they cover plenty of other things like they do an episode where uh they, they they're the united nations where him and his wife have to have a united front with their kids on discipline you know and then his wife doesn't want to be as disciplined so they break up the the un and and the kids who are like the rogue nations totally overrun her and and bernie mac has to use <laughs> his military might to bring order back and um and they also they're very straight up about religion there's an episode where uh, Bernie Mac tries to use literal interpretation of the Bible to force it, uh, one of his kids to behave, but then his kid reads more of the Bible and starts using it back on the other family members. Because uh, one of the things Bernie Mac loves to do, he he never does it, but like one of his shticks is that he wants to like murder these kids and like physically harm them. And and he's always when he's talking to the camera, he's like, "No, no, America." you know me you know it's like i'm i'm just saying it uh, you you're thinking it too america i i'm going to kill those kids one day but i'm not going to do it but i'm going to kill these kids and uh and so he goes in the bible and shows the part where it's like if your son isn't honoring his parents then you can stone your kid to death and that will please yeah. the lord but then it, his kid is like well he starts interpreting all these other things he tears up bernie mac's autograph picture of kobe bryant because he's practicing idolatry and uh, and and he also pours out all his alcohol and all this other uh, stuff and it's it's and really at the end of the day the the lesson for that one is christianity is kind of crazy (laughs) which i thought was pretty out there kind of risky for a family sitcom Uh, which i would say bernie mac airs on kind of the more adult side of family sitcoms but still i think acceptable for all uh from all audiences so i i don't know it's great it's been it's been a really refreshing uh show to watch especially on those you know some episodes are a little bit more mundane but there's some really good ones in there and uh, I've just been really impressed. Bernie Mac, rest in peace, by the way. He died way too early. Yeah. No, that sounds cool. That sounds like a fun time. I mean, I, yeah, I guess like in those sort of situations, I mean, it's not the first time a, that kind of that kind of like situational comedy has come up. You know? Oh, yeah. They're like, they're like uh, I mean, they play with that trope in, in BoJack Horseman or like the single guy has to take care of a bunch of kids and like he's totally out like outnumbered and also like out like totally out of his league about what needs to happen and everything it's just like a classic sitcom situation and for them to like take that and then build on it with all these other things is pretty cool yeah so, yeah i like feel like it's that. just really taking advantage of what you have in a sitcom which is like yeah characters like so you have the standard you're going to return to like normal at the end um and then you just kind of go from there um so yeah. I'm, I'm excited to keep watching it and just Enjoy some Bernie Mac, dude. He's he's magic. He's uh, I would just watch it if he was the only character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds cool. All right, so I got I got something big to talk to you about. Big. Are you ready for this one? Yes. I don't know if you're ready. Oh no. I think you're okay. We'll see. <laughs> okay, so a couple of couple of weeks ago on your Twitch stream, you played this video of a guy who was laying out the simulation argument. Yes. Uh, while he was playing Call of Duty. And it was it's very compelling. Camper killer find, commentary. I, yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Um okay, so basically the simulation argument is pretty simple. Imagine uh imagine it is possible to create a simulated reality. And it's so close to real life that you can't tell that you're in a simulated reality or in real life. So simulated realities are 
going to be cheaper than real realities. So it stands to reason that if you can make one simulation, that you can make many. Therefore, if all things being equal, if there's an evenly distributed chance of you waking up in, a, in any universe, then there's a more likely chance you'll end up in a simulated reality than a real reality. Does that make sense? I think that's pretty succinctly put, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like this argument has a couple of flaws. And But first of all, humans cannot yet create simulations that are indistinguishable from reality. We don't know of any simulations that currently exist uh, that can do that. Secondly, if we assume there are aliens out there that could create simulations, why would they? Even if we assume that in the future humans could create simulations or some other entity could create simulations, like what's the reason that they would do that? There doesn't really seem to be a good reason why we would. Uh, maybe simply because we can, but that's not really like a satisfying answer. Well, uh, maybe there's maybe there's like an ancestry simulation thing. So like maybe they're trying to better understand history. I've heard that argument before. It's kind of a possibility. What well, do you think? Well, what if it's a video game? A video game that's just life? Yes. What if there's a main character somewhere and you and I are just NPCs? And the, the story is happening somewhere else. And what if it's just Planet Simulator where they put the settings, they decided what the air was going to be like, and they're just walking around and they're like being a normal character and crazy shit happens all the time. Interesting enough for alleged some alleged main character and the rest of us are just programmed to exist and help to maintain the simulation to just be here in the simulation it's just simulating yeah i guess so i mean the i guess the, i guess the argument you're trying to make is like if you're in a simulation then you can't tell the difference because you're limited by your like perception um which like you know that's probably i guess that's pretty compelling but there's no like we don't the point is like we don't really know if this is even possible that we could do this yeah nor do we like and like i don't know it, i think like that reason could be true if, if we're like limiting our perceptions to what we have right now. But the point is like, we don't actually, we can't actually do it ourselves and we don't know of anybody who can do it. So like, it's kind of the, 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 the biggest problem I have with the simulation argument is like, why does it matter? So what? Right, um, right. It's interesting from a certain perspective, but it doesn't help you understand the universe better or change the way you should live your life. The simulation argument is really similar to this philosophical uh, thing called last Thursdayism. Have you ever heard of that? No. <laughs> Basically, so last Thursdayism is the is this line of philosophical thought that um, the universe was created very recently, maybe as recently as last Thursday, um, <laughs> and all memory and evidence of history is actually just a simulation or an illusion or just put there by magic. But like the problem with last Thursdayism and the simulation argument is they both fall they fall against Occam's razor. There are too many assumptions. And even if they are true, like it, it doesn't change the way you should live your life, right? As if the world is acting as if the world is not the world is not real, is not a more does not lead you to a more fulfilling or better understanding of yourself. It just kind of makes you crazy. Well, unless you want to be a nihilist. Well, not even then, though, because if you're if you're trying to get to the point where nothing matters uh, and you want to pursue existentialism, the universe as we know it today is evidence enough of its own. Of your own personal lack of importance you don't need a universe to be simulated <laughs> for it to realize your life is meaningless and the only meaning is is uh it only meaning is absurd like your own the only meaning would be something that you create for yourself and it has to come from within there's plenty of evidence that will lead you to that conclusion in the reality that we think exists right now so yeah i agree like, with that again not sufficient i don't think <laughs> yeah. but this idea yeah. okay go ahead go ahead well i was just gonna say like in general i look at it as like 
a fun mental exercise where you can kind of get existential. But like you said, at the end of the day, it's like not really all that important. But I don't actually want to talk about the simulation argument. I think like I've laid out what I want to say. Mm-hmm. But I, this idea that we live in a simulation is starting to gain popularity, I think. I hear people say it as if like they're feeling like they live in a simulation. Or they feel like things aren't real or something's, everything is becoming so absurd. And I think, they're, I think they are hitting on something. I think they're detecting something. But it's not that we live in a simulation. It is something else altogether. And that thing is an idea that I came across recently called the Society of the Spectacle. So this is an idea that was uh, originally proposed by this guy named Guy Debord. He is like a French philosopher um, and like critical like theorist. Uh, He was like a major Marxist too. The stuff that he talks about in, he has a couple of books. One of them is called The Society of Spectacle. The other one is called Comments on the Society of Spectacle, which was like a follow-up to some of his criticism on that. And it's all about... uh, like a view of the world that I find very interesting and very compelling. It's both very simple and also very complicated. I don't feel like I completely understand it yet, but based on the things that I've read, it, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of it. Let me explain it to you the best way I can do it. Okay. <laughs> Everything I read about this, like they like quote directly from his book and it's always so dense. And like every time I read a, a sentence from it, I'm like, what does that mean? I don't understand all these words together. I understand individually, but together they don't make any sense to me. <laughs> anyway, this, this, he proposes that we live in a society of the spectacle and this aspect, the spectacle is this idea that reality is being replaced by a collection of images that, uh, replicate reality. Reality is being replaced by images or maybe even simulations of reality itself okay so there's there's like many different ways you can take this and it does take it in, in many many ways ba- he's, there's a quote from the book in societies where modern conditions of production prevail all of life presents itself as an immense accumulation of spectacles everything that was directly lived has moved away into representation so the idea is that we live in this world that is a representation that is a representation of reality all of lived experience is becoming recorded and filtered into media or advertising or propaganda or whatever and that's how we experience those things but those things aren't those things those are images or replacements of those things but we've gotten to this point where we can't tell the difference between reality and spectacle. And we think that the spectacle is reality. And even the people that are perpetuating this idea of a spectacle don't even know the difference themselves. The deceivers become deceived is what he says in the book. Mm. I have a couple of interesting examples. And one of the things that he says uh, that I think really kind of hit home for me is being gives way to having and having gives way to appearing. And I got here. I came up with this example myself. I'm very proud of it. You ready? Okay. Imagine you live, imagine you have a value and that value is I want to be clean. I like it when my house is clean and I want to be clean. You spend all your time cleaning your house. One day somebody invents a vacuum cleaner and you're like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. You see an ad for it. They're like, look how awesome this is. It cleans your house so much faster, so much more efficiently, so much less energy. You could get on doing other things besides cleaning your house. You say, that's great. So you go out and you buy a vacuum cleaner. Now, 
that desire to be clean suddenly resulted in you having a vacuum cleaner. And in fact, as time goes on, you see more and more ads for vacuum cleaners. And they're like, this vacuum cleaner is going to revolutionize cleaning uh, the same way that that first vacuum cleaner revolutionized cleaning. You're like, well, I got to get that, obviously, right? And then it stops being so much about using the vacuum cleaner as it is about having the vacuum cleaner. If you go over to someone else's house and they don't have a vacuum cleaner, then you know, what's wrong with them? Are they not clean? You know, I don't, I don't know if I can trust this guy. He doesn't own a vacuum cleaner. So again, being clean gives way to having something. Now, but it goes a step further because it's not even about having the vacuum cleaner. It's just about appearing to have a vacuum cleaner. You start to see all these um, uh, like posts on social media where people are posing with their vacuum cleaner saying, look, I got this newest thing. You should get it too. But you know that person isn't cleaning their house and you know they didn't get that vacuum cleaner either. They were given it to by the vacuum cleaner company to sell more vacuum cleaners. Ooh. They are just appearing to have the value of being clean or, or appearing to have something and that makes them be something. You following me? To a certain extent. <laughs> okay, so the idea is like appearances become reality, right? Mm -hmm. You and that appearance it only has to extend to the idea of owning something. And that's where like the big capitalist uh, critique comes in is that a lot of our worldview is shaped by advertising and shaped by media that enforces that advertising. And uh, so there's all these things that we think we need because we've been told we need them by people that are trying to sell us stuff. Right. And they think we have values that are built on this idea of owning things. And there's even like this idea that like, if you eventually purchase something, you will be fulfilled. You'll be happy. There, there's a certain something out there that you, if you can buy, suddenly your life is more complete. And that's really what you're chasing. But again, like you, you've been, this is a lie that's been sold to you by these people that are perpetuating this spectacle of images. And again, like it's the spectacle is not a, um, it's not like a, like it's just a series of images. It's an entire worldview. It's a social relationship among people mediated by images. So yeah, it's, it's a, I mean, it's kind of complicated, but the idea is, is, is pretty simple, which is that your, your experience of reality has been replaced with images of reality. It's kind of like this twisted kaleidoscope of different things, all these different ideas and like, um, you know, uh, thoughts and just the random like values are all strewn together, picked apart to have these tiny fractures of each other and then reconfigured into this collage of, of that original picture. But it's not the original picture. It's made up of all these other worldviews that are being are shaping your worldview. And at this point, you're so far down the rabbit hole that you can't tell what's real and what's not. Wow. <laughs> Another great example is, is of course, Donald Trump. Donald, like, Donald Trump is like the, the very essence of the spectacle. And I can do an example. Let's say, what's something that Donald Trump cares about? Uh, power. Uh, power is something I think we can all relate to as a value, right? I want to have power over my life. I want to have power over other people. That's something I feel like uh, everyone can can relate to in some way. Sure. Well, how do you how do you be powerful? Well, you can have money, right? If you have a lot of money, then uh, you become powerful, and that's you know, that's good. But Donald Trump doesn't have a lot of money. He's actually like millions and millions of dollars in debt. But it doesn't matter because. He appears to have a lot of money and therefore has power. 
And in, because of that, we put him in the most powerful position in the Western world, which is you know, president of the United States. So his appearance of being powerful or having money led to him being the most powerful person. Isn't that, I mean, it's just kind of backwards in a way. Yeah. It's, it's this, it's this twisted idea of like, it doesn't actually matter what you are as much as it is what you appear to be. The same thing with like Instagram models, right? Or Instagram influencers. You know, if you see them standing with like a, uh, you know, next to a nice car or in front of a big house or something, it doesn't matter if they own that car or if that house is rented, you know, and they're just modeling in front of it. Or what if they even the own the clothes that they're wearing. Right. It just matters that they appear in that situation and that creates that desire within you to be like them. Right. Right. And or it even goes even further than that. Like, what about them just people pretending to be happy, right? Yes. These people appear happy and therefore they must be happy, right? But you don't see all of the strife they're going through. And maybe they are living you know, more interesting life than you, but you don't know that for sure. You don't know them at all. Like social media has become come to this point where like you aren't interacting with real people anymore. You're interacting with individual spectacles of people. You're interacting with images of people, not them themselves. These are perfect, like carefully curated ideas of what this person wants to be, not necessarily who they are. Especially when we're all locked inside and we can't yeah. interact with anybody in person for the most part. It uh, it only reinforces that for sure. Exactly, like you're that kind of like on, super online stuff is like is definitely accelerating this process. And I mean, this book was written like in the 1960s, I think. So wow. like this is not what he was talking about when he wrote it, but it, it was very pre it's become very prescient because he's starting to see something that is, um, he's starting to see something that was going to happen even more and more and more yeah and no like, i definitely i mean one of the things as you were describing it it's like in advertising uh because growing up i wasn't as uh you know aware of the media i was consuming and that includes advertising and you'd see things in commercials and you're like yeah of course that's in a commercial because that's what life is like but exactly. now that I've gotten a little bit older and i can think for myself a little bit more i get so pissed off when i see a commercial and i'm like that is not what life is like, you know, like imagine being outside with like taking the trash out and asking your neighbor if he knew that he could save money on his car insurance if he switches <laughs> to something. I get so, I pull my hair out when I see that. I'm like, that would never happen. That would never we would never pass in like that kind of information back and forth as small talk. This is garbage that you would even imply that that's a normal thing. This is absurd yeah. and insulting. But their whole point is to try to push across this idea that, oh, no, this is very normal, common knowledge thing that you should know as well. And you should think like these people here and purchase car insurance from us. It's uh, this yes, is what that, normal that is. That is exactly it. It's it's this perpetuation of a certain worldview. It, it's, it's pretty fascinating when you start thinking about it. Like, think about the idea of heterosexuality as being a normal thing. Right. Yeah. It's this kind of code at this at this point where if you see a man and a woman together in an ad or a TV show or anything like that, it you know that they're going to end up together at some point. Right. That's like the, that's almost a joke, but that's the way it is. And these shows and stuff are not talking about the relationship or the merits, if there are any, of heterosexuality. They are taking it as granted. Right. And that is 
that helps perpetuate this idea that it is normal. And the more you see of that, the less you are, are willing to open your mind to other possibilities of, you know, even had even homosexual relationships, where even something more, more, um, you know, uh, more like, uh, strange or I don't want to say strange, but less conventional than that. Sure. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's this idea that this is what normal is exactly what you said. This is what normal is. And we're going to use that to, talk about uh, other things, right? That stuff that they don't talk about, the, the the stuff that's in the background is what they're saying is normal. The stuff you don't have to question and therefore you don't question, right? I mean, it's the same thing with like any sort of, um, any sort of successful ad campaign, like uh, halitosis, halitosis, the uh, like bad breath as a medical condition was invented by a mouthwash com mouthwash companies right like <laughs> right. that whole idea is something that was created by advertisers to sell people things and it's and they said this is something that you should worry about and it becomes the thing right but it's i mean it's even further than that because even people that are conscious of this kind of idea still fall into this trap because they will use the idea of like heterosexuality as a normal thing as to perpetuate whatever story they want to tell because it's easier that way right if you see a man and woman together you know, like holding hands or something they don't have to say okay there's this thing called marriage where two people couple up and it's this normal thing right they don't have to explain any of that right because you already know what it is because of all the other media you've you've consumed they're using the language of the spectacle to help perpetuate their own story which is just feeding into the spectacle and that's the other thing too, is that the spectacle subsumes everything that tries to interact with it, right? If you try to directly go at it, you end up being part of it. It's the same idea of, of, of capitalism, like subsuming dissent, right? If you have a dissenting yes. opinion and you want, or like uh, you have something that you want to get out there, all you have, like capitalism will eat that up and let you sell that idea of dissent to other people who feel like they're gonna dissent. And ultimately, the spectacle uh, in a capitalist society, the only way you can ever act within the spectacle is to buy, right? If, you're, if you think Alex Jones is the greatest uh, like news program out there, if you think InfoWars is the only place where news is going to come from, how do you act on that, on that belief? You, you buy, buy nutraceuticals, brother. Exactly. You, that's all it takes, right? And like maybe you buy an InfoWars shirt, but, and like that appearance of supporting... Infowars is enough for people to believe that it is something that you consume, right? And therefore they can make judgments about you. Even though you haven't done anything, you've just contributed to the same cycle uh, that has perpetuated this thing that exists now. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. it's this it's this perpetuating all eating thing. And that's the other like very strange thing about the spectacle is that it erases history. It says this is how things have always been. Don't, you know, don't look too far into the past. This is how it's always been. It's always like this, right? Yes. We, we never thought differently. This is always how it is. And yet it's constantly changing. It's constantly adapting to whatever new thing is coming into the zeitgeist and erasing its previous opinions. Like, I was talking get, to my brother. Oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to say one of the things ahead. that is I've seen for that is the way Verizon Wireless, like they advertise right now, their whole thing is multiracial family that's all so excited about having verizon wireless like they, yes. they'll show the typical verizon wireless customer and it's always this family that first off the thing that's most important to them is putting their arms over their other family members and smiling together in front of a verizon wireless logo 
but right. also it's so obvious that they're trying to pick as many races as possible to say all <laughs> the races love Verizon Wireless. That's right. And they're all families too. That's all things that we, and we've always felt this way here at Verizon Wireless. That's right. Don't ever look at other commercials because I also had black people in it. Right. Don't like, don't question us on that. No, I was talking to my brother about this and he was like, this is how, like, that's kind of how like gay marriage like what what felt was like was was like right there was it almost felt like there was turned on the dime right where suddenly most people were in agreement about how they felt about gay marriage but before it was something that was a little bit was way more taboo it was something that people didn't like to talk about it was it was being gay was not a good thing right it was, it's still kind of used as a um like an insult in some like for some people and stuff it's not a uh it, it was this idea that we kind of just came to all at once and after that right corporations started incorporating like we're inclusive we love gay people into their messaging right uh, like pride month is is a this whole joke right where they're they they change <laughs> yes. all their logos to like be rainbow logos and then immediately change them back as soon as pride month's over yeah right like it's this idea that like um it just gets subsumed subsumed into it and not like before that ruling right before we kind of made up our mind about how we felt about gay marriage you know, politicians and companies were always, you know, kind of chicken footing, like kind of towing the line, but never quite going over it. Right. They were never saying, oh, we're for gay marriage or anything. Right. They were always just kind of like, eh, we'll, 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 we'll come back to us on that, you know, or, you know, maybe not right now. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're, we're well, not ready for that. right I'd now. I'd go beyond it to say that there was people who were publicly anti-gay until yeah. then as well. And then it became a position that was untenable. And right. now those same people are able to move beyond that and be like, Forget that I ever had that opinion, by the way. Yes, exactly. On. Like, it's not even that I've moved on. It's that it, it was never something that I cared that much about. I never actually believed it. You right. know, I never really thought that way, right. really. Well, it's, you know? it's kind of a, yeah, you, you hear some of these people who are a little bit more socially conservative, and now that you can't be openly hostile to homosexuals, they're openly hostile and uh, they're transphobic, where they're like, right. uh, Harry Styles can't wear a dress because that is... We're feminizing all of our men, and that's bad. And that's something that we can still be openly hostile towards. So that's what we're going to do. Please forget that uh, not that long ago, eight years ago, I was going on the same tirade, fear-mongering tirade, yes. about how gay marriage was going to destroy family values. Yes, exactly. And I, like, this is the weird thing about the spectacle, right? Is that there are, like, it's not necessarily evil necessarily it just obscures reality it makes it hard to understand what's real because it's always telling you what's real but never really representing reality it's just representing what everyone thinks reality is and it's like this it's the same idea of like you get your whole you get all your ideas about what uh the right wing believes from left wing youtubers you know it's like <laughs> oh like I, I have this idea of what the right wing believes because i watch all this political content but it all comes from the same direction and therefore they've created this spectacle of what a right winger believes without ever actually having to engage with the reality of what someone who actually holds those positions does right, right? right. it's not just a straw man it's it, because the people that are you're interacting with actually probably believe that this is the best arguments they have or like the best idea of them they have right the deceivers have become deceived we don't even know the people that we're supposed to be able to trust with their information don't even know that they don't have the information right they're they're just as lost in the spectacle as we are and that's super important because it's easy to get high and mighty and be like look at all these other fools who who have right. fallen victim to the illusion but I unfortunately find myself 
like if you look back uh, at you know previous beliefs and you can actually see you know it's easy to look at in social media because it's still there you can be like oh man I can't believe I retweeted that or liked that or thought that at that time I look back at all the RussiaGate hysteria and I was never like yeah. super publicly a RussiaGate like big guy but like there's a lot of times where I was like why did I waste my time believing a lot of the things just because it seemed like it was true and it was what I was being shown you know and it makes you so difficult to be certain of almost anything because it's just what you're being told it's that ever-shifting nature that gives people this idea that like we live in this absurd like simulation ridden world you know it's this idea that like we're not in reality anymore because we can't tell what's real because what we're being told is real keeps not keeps changing (laughs) and it, it keeps shifting from under us and the more and more we engage with the spectacle the more we perpetuate it but also the more lost we get right and that kind of brings me to like i don't actually know how to best fight this the board gives a couple of examples one of the one thing i heard was like stop interacting with media as much and start interacting with real people like this, like organizing, um, like as a collective, like coming together and interacting with real people is the only way to fight this. Cause once you understand your fellow man, you understand that you're actually not that different. And there's actually a lot of things that you can come together on. Um, but if you're only interacting with images of them, you're never going to get there. Right. Because they like, they are just as much, um, they have just as much wrong about you as you have about them. And because they've been fed that same spectacle and they've been fed down a different tube, you know, that goes down a different line that shows them some other worldview that doesn't make any sense to them either. Right. And the other thing is like, DeBoer t- like always starts his chapters with, uh, different, uh, quotes from, uh, other media. And I, I can't, I don't really exactly understand how this works, but I believe he's trying to hijack elements of the spectacle to help perpetuate his idea of how to fight it basically. Mm. And I'm not, I don't know exactly how that works because the more you interact with it directly, the less your, the more your message gets uh, diluted. And I have a really good example for that. Um, but one of the things he does is he takes these like ideas from different um, uh, media and, and tries to change them or reframe them using this other worldview and shows like, oh, this is actually about this, or this is really what this is talking about or what this is really pitching. It makes you a little more critical of those things that you took for granted. But I don't know if that really is his message. I, I'm not exactly sure. Again, he's very hard to understand. So uh, I feel like I have a grasp of it, but it still slips through my fingers. So well, much. I just feel like this is a difficult concept to grasp in general, yeah. but I want to go back to saying like about the pipeline of, of other people. And really that's why whenever people are like, I just can't be friends with someone who doesn't have the same political views as me. I'm like, that's not very productive because yeah. um, you just don't know those people very well. I have plenty of friends that vehemently disagree with me politically but i value them as friends because they help me to stay attached to someone who's on the outside of my bubble who i can go to and help to try to see reality right and they and like i mean they're i mean they're just as lost as as anybody else but they at least give you pause on what you believe right it's it gives you this idea that like oh i don't actually have everything right necessarily or definitely or even just like Oh, I think I actually do have this right, and let me back that up more. Right, it becomes this. Um, it, it becomes a much more productive situation, and the more that you organize with those people, the the less you're getting your reality from uh, from sources that don't get their reality from reality either. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When the news is reporting on the news, like what even is the news anymore? It's it's like it's about nothing right. at, at some point. Yeah. So okay, so I got here's my here's my here's my example. I got this from a YouTube uh, a channel. I, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on this. There's only one that was actually pretty good, which is this YouTube channel called Plastic Pills. I personally I find the guy kind of obnoxious, but his video on Society of the Spectacle was pretty good. So it was the best one I found of the three I watched. There's another woman. I think her name is. Uh, I think it's like Mad Bladder or something. Mad, not Mad Hatter. Hold on, let me find it. I'll find it. Uh, Sounds like you're doing a little bit more academic stuff on YouTube than I am, Joy. <laughs> uh, I'll, you know what I watch when I, you know what I watch uh, on YouTube right now? I watch uh, videos of Dave Rubin look like an idiot. Oh, I love I those videos. Love those. <laughs> Dave Rubin clips, great YouTube channel. Go check it out. <laughs> I love those videos. He's such a fool. It's so funny. I, funny. Yeah, I, I recently watched Hassan react to a video of Dave Rubin getting dunked on, like a compilation. <laughs> it's of, pretty freaking good. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, oh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, Mad Blender. That's her name. Okay. She gives this example of a Macklemore song. Um, I, 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 I don't think I've actually heard the song. It's a song where he... I think it's called flying or like uh, something about. Um, yes, about, is it about, about buying shoes. tennis shoes? Yes, it is. So the 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 uh, the, the song is about how when Mike, Michael Moore was a kid, he liked to play basketball, and he always looked up to Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan told him to buy Nike shoes because uh, that's what Michael Jordan does. He sells shoes, um, and and cries in memes. That's the only two things that Michael Jordan does. <laughs> um, so Michael Moore, at the end of the song, he comes to the realization that it was he was kind of sold a lie, that the shoes weren't actually the thing that made him special. They were just a product and he had been sold a dream and like kind of fallen on his face. And, you know, some of Valerie Macklemore's songs are kind of anti-consumerist in, in some ways as well. But Nike approached Macklemore and said, hey, we like your song. Can we put it in a Nike commercial? And he said, uh, I guess so. So they did. And they cut out all the anti-consumerist stuff in the commercial. They put and the part everyone, where is yeah. I wanna fly. Can you take me far away? Which is really, it's like a kids' choir singing it. It's very yeah. hypnotic and beautiful, and it's uh, somebody dunking, like it's somebody flying through the air gracefully. Of course, because that yeah. that's really uh, aesthetically pleasing. Exactly, and and he's like, so everyone's like, Macklemore, you sold out. You know, I can't believe you did this. And he's like, well, you know, people who like the song or like the commercial will maybe like the song and they'll download the song and listen to the whole thing and then they'll get the message anyway, right? Like, isn't this a way to reach more people? And, but not really, because it's still part of the spectacle. It's still part of this ad to sell shoes. It's, it, the message gets diluted, right? Because it's like got this asterisk behind it of like, well, you know, the, Maybe uh, maybe it won't work for you, but it worked for Macklemore. So <laughs> eventually, Macklemore made that bag. You know, he got he got the money. So <laughs> it's like it, it, it's it becomes this. Um, it, it 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 consumes or subsumes these messages of dissent and makes it part of the messaging and dilutes this thing that was supposed to be about like about supposed to be critical of the society of the spectacle and instead became another part of the spectacle it's literally um, yeah that's it's so that's the danger of it yeah it's so direct it's literally it's supposed to be at the very least anti-buying nike or uh yeah jordans <laughs> and yes it's used explicitly for that purpose 
Right. And I mean, that's the, that's the brilliance of these marketing campaigns, right? Is that they, they, they understand people's brains well enough to like get, get that in there and understand how these things work to like, even if they're not aware of what they're doing, as far as like destroying an idea of dissent, they are like, they are because it's profitable, right? They, they understand they're, they're, they're motivated by something that's leading them to that conclusion, which, um, you know, I mean, that's, that's not great. Exactly. It's, I don't know exactly how to take that. It, it's like, it's just a dangerous pitfall, I guess. Something that like, no matter what your intentions are, you can end up falling into. Right. We live in a society, Joey. I knew you were going to say that. And I was really trying to avoid it. <laughs> when at the beginning, I was, I, I didn't want to interrupt. You were biting your tongue. I was going to say, you had me at society. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my man. gosh. But anyway yeah so i hope that breaks your brain a little bit no so. you you've absolutely shattered my mind and i think that's a great uh, place to leave it at here at the uh, end of this episode we went from the uh my fantasy football championship to the comedy stylings of bernie mac all the way to the uh illusion of our society so what was the key word for that what was the catchphrase word for that again the what? uh what did what was that concept called the Society of the Spectacle. Society of the Spectacle. Oh, man. There is a documentary that he made, which I would not recommend. It is the most boring thing. I watched. I watched about half of it. and I fell asleep. Um, it. You know how like there's like this idea of like like black and white like art documentaries that are like really just random images. Yes. And it's just like I've seen. It's like I've seen exactly yes. what you're talking about at a museum before, where it's like yes. so artsy that it doesn't make any sense what at all, which is why it's in a museum. Yes, that's what this documentary is. It's literally like a third of it is just topless women, and uh, like another third of it is people is like military, like displays of military force, like like uh, cargo carriers shooting off planes, and then um, the other third is like police beating up people. Um, and then there's like random parts where they just put text in the screen and there's this guy who like reads in a monotone voice. I think he reads the entire like book just in a monotone voice and it's so dense. I can only get glimpses of it throughout it. And I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> so so wait, yeah, is that supposed to watch be, the video. it's supposed to be so unappealing that it, it doesn't adhere to like conventional media? I guess. I don't know what the point was. <laughs> it's, it's directed by Guy DeBoer. So I have to believe that he like, this was the intention that he wanted. Right. But uh, I, I just, uh, yeah, it was, you can hear the whooshing noise the entire time of the, of the whole thing going over my head in, in an hour and 27 minutes. So. Ooh. Well, uh, <laughs> That's dense, but I think I want to leave it there, Joey. I think I want to. I think I want to wrap it up there. So let's do our let's do our lines like we always do. Uh, you okay. can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Also on Spotify, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review so that we can keep uh, podcasting. So we get, yes, we get paid in reviews. <laughs> <laughs> and uh that's <laughs> help us pay up uh you can reach us on twitter instagram or tiktok at affable chat on all three or send us an email affable chat at gmail.com we also have a youtube channel where we perpetuate a spectacle of images yes you, can, you <laughs> might be watching us on there right now and also affable chat is live on tuesday nights at 7 p.m eastern on twitch that's twitch.tv slash affable chat 
And I think that's going to wrap things up around here for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.